There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do the workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satis satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing will be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? And now Paul's going to preach the passage to us. Well, thanks very much, Shona. Uh, it's good to be uh, here with, with you this evening uh, to look at this amazing passage from Ecclesiastes. Um, we're going to start with a pop quiz, okay? So you might need to talk to each other a little bit for this bit. Um, and I brought a loudspeaker and I brought my phone because I might use it, we'll see. I want you to have a think. Um, in my many years of listening to pop music, as I have done, um, there's a few songs I've noticed over the years that mention bits from the Bible or allude to things from the Bible. So just take a minute and have a think right through, for, I'm going from the 60s right through to the present day. So whatever your era is, have a little think. And can you think, are there any popular music, music that's been in the charts, music done by pop bands, past or present, um, that allude to scripture or even quote little bits from scripture. Have a little think in a chat and see if you can think of any. Well, I see if I can get this working. So any, uh, any starters for 10? I've, I've thought of three or four. I don't know if anyone's got any, any songs that allude to scripture. Yes, at the back, sir, James. Turn, turn, turn by the birds. That's where we're going. What, any idea what passage it is? It would happen to be Ecclesiastes 3, yes. Um, I'll play you a little bit of that in a second. The clue was in the reading, so he got the easy one. Can anyone think of any others? 
Any other songs that allude to scripture? What bit of scripture does that remind you of, uh, Felicity? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. So you can't go far wrong with love and pop songs, can you? So I guess that's, uh, that's one. Yeah. Any others that you can think of? Yeah, Leonard Cohen or Alexandra Burke, depending on which era you are. But yeah, there's lots of references in Hallelujah. He talks about David singing to the Lord. He... I had that one as well, by the rivers of Babylon. Does anyone know who the band were? Boney M. Yeah, you've got it. Luke's got one at the back. It's going to be obscure, I can tell. Okay. Talk... I know the song. I've not thought of that one, but tell... it just alludes to Jesus Christ coming again. And his kingdom being built on earth. Okay, good. Any others? Say again. Is Boney M a cover? Oh, well, there we are. Who did the original? Adam, enlighten us. <laughs> if I was you, I'd have Googled that first and come across really clever. <laughs> um, there's one here that you might recognise that I, I'm going to talk a little bit about today. Jay's one. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my... Okay, we'll stop it there. But <laughs> it's Coolio and Gangster's Paradise, and he talks about this whole song starts with walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's actually, if you read the lyrics, and we might get into them a little bit later, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a poignant track, actually. And it talks about, you know, he talks about his life in, in the ghetto, and it's called Gangster's Paradise. Um, so, yeah, that was one I thought of. There's one other song apart from the birds turn, 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 which takes an entire chapter of scripture and puts it to song. Um, I've got it here just in case you don't know the track. So there was a track released by a band called The Birds, and it's literally this passage that Shona read to us um, put to music. It's this one. Okay, and so it goes on. Someone was going to sing. I think we've had enough singing in these evening meetings, haven't we, with Simon Dowland? But yeah, there's, there's not many, many pop songs that take an entire chapter from scripture and set it to music. There's one other that I can think of that takes an entire chapter, but it's a bit geeky. I don't know if you'd know. Simon, your son Simon Bellamy would know it because it's by U2, and it's a song called 40, and it takes the entire, it, it basically puts Psalm 40 to music and um, we went to see them in concert and that's how they finish their concerts is they always play 40 um, which ends on how long will we sing this song and they sort of walk off stage and leave the crowd singing how long will we sing this song that's what they do so yeah there's a couple of tracks that take whole sections of scripture but this the reason I mention it is because I think Ecclesiastes as a book just resonates with with culture resonates with our culture and throughout history really has resonated um, with these questions, what is the meaning of life? Is it pleasure? Is it work? Is it wisdom? And if you look at art or music or poetry or rap uh, or Banksy, who I think does an amazing job with some of his art, just asking some of these questions 
brilliantly. What is the meaning of life, as Simon asked us last week? And as we get into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, these themes of kind of Groundhog Day, time going round and round in circles, the same things coming around and again and again, and generations coming and going, and the clock relentlessly turning, and the theme of justice has inspired art and music to ask many of these questions over the centuries. And if you look at art and music, you can see and hear some of those questions coming back. And there's two points um, that the teacher focuses on tonight um, in Ecclesiastes. And we're gonna have two points tonight and not just two points of the sermon, this is kind of two points. Because I think the two points here, there's a pattern that points to something and there's a problem that points to something. And that's the two points, literally, that we're gonna be looking at tonight. A pattern that points and a problem that points. Well, let's look at the pattern first and you can't really miss it, can you? As Shona uh, read it to us, you kind of see this pattern. There's a time for this, there's a time for that. And it rings true, doesn't it? From eternity past until eternity future, there's this relentless passage of seasons, this relentless passage of life that runs through. And we all watched one of these passages, or many of us, I'm sure, did watch one of these yesterday, with the coronation of a new king. And a monarch dies. There was a time for mourning, different durations for different people, but there was a time for mourning. And then there was a time to dance, which is this weekend, especially with the bank holiday. And there's a time for celebration. And this pattern has been going on since 1066, as we learned this morning, these coronations. Um, and God brings kingdoms and kingdoms fold under God's control. And we see that pattern. And this was my first coronation. Was it anyone's second coronation? Oh, well, there we are. Well, you can't, you can't now. I'd have that. That's your second. Well, God willing, I might get a second one. We'll see. Um, but I was thinking about Barney, my nine-year-old boy. You know, he's lived through Her Majesty the Queen and Charles III and, God willing, William and probably George. And he might even see another coronation after that. Although someone reminded me this morning, I don't think the royal family will be going that long, but we'll leave that debate to one side. But this this cycle that we see outlined in Ecclesiastes, it's going on, isn't it? It's carrying on. And Ecclesiastes, um, these verses highlight and show us this pattern. And then we get to verse nine and it says, but what do, or it says, what do workers gain from their toil? There is a time for all these things, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for a war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? 
and it kind of leaves us on quite a hopeless note. These things go on, they seem to be out of our control, they've gone on from eternity past, they'll go on till eternity future, we just see the little bit that we exist in. Think about those coronations, I'll just see the little bits that I'll exist for. I won't know much about thousands of years before and I won't know much about thousands of years after. That, that's it. And so what do workers gain from their toil? What is the point of this work? What is the point of this constant cycle? I went on a, a beach mission last year with Luke and Alex in North Wales and you want to get to know kids quite quickly. Um, and I was working with the teenagers. And one of the things that we did, one of the games that we played was is this fact about me true or false? And we'd all go around the room and we'd share a fact about each other. I'm sure you've done something similar. And my fact was, my dad built Concord. Okay, that was my fact. So we'll play it with you guys first. Hands up if you think that's true. <laughs> Luke was on the beach. <laughs> uh, hands up if you think I'm telling a false, a lie. Okay, well, it's kind of true. My dad was involved, he worked at British Aerospace uh, in Filton from the 1960s through until the 1990s and one of the projects he had a tiny part to play on was the project of Concord and one of the kids stuck his hand up before I'd asked the question really I just said my dad built Concord he stuck his hand up and he said what's Concord <laughs> and I just thought to myself you know this is my, my dad's work his life for 30 years and Concord hasn't been around for donkey's years, actually. And it's a fair enough question for a teenager to ask, what's Concord? It's gone. What did dad gain from all his toil, those long hours commuting into British aerospace, working on some exciting projects, some less exciting projects? Um, what do we gain from all our toil? And it's a question I think all of us ask from time to time in our lives, isn't it? What is the point of what I am doing right now? I want you to hold on to that question. What do you get? What do we gain from all our toil? What does the worker gain from our toil? Because we're going to come back to that and answer it in a few minutes. But in Ecclesiastes 3 verses 10 and 11 and verse 14, the teacher just lifts his eyes. He's throughout the book. He's just looking at what if there was no God? What, what are the things that I can see, feel, hear, taste, smell, touch around me? What do they teach me? What do my experiences teach me? But he does lift his eyes momentarily above the physical things that he can see. And he looks towards God and eternity. He says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race in verse 10. And in verse 11, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And in verse 14, he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. The teacher lifts his eyes momentarily above the things he can see and looks towards God and eternity. And he says about this pattern, somebody's put this pattern in place. God holds this pattern together. He has set it in place. It's a pattern that points to God. 
It's a pattern that points to a creator, someone who set these things going, someone who keeps these patterns, patterns and these rhythms of life going. He says, eternity is set in our hearts. God has put in place these mighty patterns. Actually, he says that we might fear him in verse 14. His conclusion is, there is a God. There is a God. There are a tiny proportion, when you think about it, of people who have ever lived throughout human history who claim that there is no God. And that tiny proportion are a lot now, they live now, a lot of people who deny God would say that they're atheists. But actually, in the grand scheme of history, what the Bible says here, that God has placed eternity in a man's heart, people know there is more. People know deep down in their hearts and their consciences that there is a God. A very small proportion of Westerners generally who have lived in the last 50 years out of thousands of years would claim to be atheists. It's a tiny proportion. If you ask Christians, if you ask Muslims, if you ask Hindus, if you ask Jews even now around the world, they are all searching for something. They admit there is more than what they can see around them. They would agree there is some sort of God. There is someone behind this. If you ask the ancient Greek mythology, if you ask the aboriginals in Australia, the spiritualists, they would all say there is more to life. There is eternity in our hearts. Now, what I'm not saying is all of these things lead to God because the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God. But my point is this passage is saying there is something innate in human beings who say um, that, that we say that there is a God. My friend Ed used to say to me, hasn't science disproved God? This passage says, no, Ed, the more I know about science, the more I say there must be a God. The patterns were put in place that the teacher talks about, the planets turning around the sun, seasons coming and going, reproduction and life happening, life and death, war and peace, heartbreak and humour, gain and loss, all the laws of engineering or building or electricity or mathematics or art or music or psychology or biology or meteorology. They're all patterns that God has put in place. Are you saying these all happen by chance? That there isn't a God behind these things? That these things, are, that these things point to? Imagine you went up to Filton Airfield and you got all the bits of Concorde and you kind of laid them out over a, I don't know what it would be, maybe a mile radius, like all the little cables and the screws and the fuel and the bits of metal and the windows and bits of seats and you kind of placed them all in this field and then a hurricane came through Filton and when the dust settles you look and there assembled is Concord. <laughs> it seems to me that that's what my atheist friends are trying to have me believe that it's throughout the whole universe, the chemicals were there. They were laid out. Don't know where from, but they were laid out, they would say. 
and an explosion happened and time and suddenly here we are i say to my atheist friends i don't have enough faith to believe there isn't a creator god and a god that sustains all of these patterns day by day that keeps the seasons going the planets turning life being born bees buzzing atoms vibrating gravity holding us all here god sustains those things and i don't have enough faith to believe that all this just happened by chance these patterns to me that are outlined in ecclesiastes 3 and and he was just describing the patterns he knew about we know about all these other patterns now through through science that are awe-inspiring and amazing when we look at the planets when we see how the universe is put together and god created and designed these things i fail to accept i refuse to accept that i evolved by accident from the slime in the corner of my shower which is what barney's been taught in school essentially didn't happen like that you are precious you are created you are designed you have a purpose you are loved by someone that made you you happened for a reason and you can know that purpose and that significance and you're important it's a pattern that points god has ordained these times and these purposes and life and death and you here now it's all there by god's hand it's all there by god's hand i'm just going to take a quick aside to look at some of the just before we finish this section there's a few few words in here that are a little bit odd um it says there's a time to gather stones a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them um it says there's a time to embrace and a time from refrain to from embracing and it says there's a time to tear down and a time to build and i just want to because they're a bit more unusual just spend one minute looking at those three things because they challenge my heart actually when i understand understand a little bit more about what they mean when the bible talks about clearing stones it's, it's often it's talking about farming right so the farmers and even today farmers will need to go in their field and they'll need to clear the stones and jesus when he spoke about stony ground spoke about the bible and the word and it impacting our hearts and he said sometimes the word is preached and it falls on stony ground it falls on ground where we don't allow god's work god's word to work in our hearts i remember sitting in church for years at kensington resisting god's call on my life i didn't let it take deep root in my heart and there is a time to scatter stones yes there's a time to build but maybe you're here today and it's a time in your life to clear that ground to let god's word dwell in you richly to let it take root to let it affect your day-to-day -day life and that's a route to joy and happiness and purpose to get in touch with this god a time to clear stones a time to scatter stones there's a time to embrace and when you look at the word embrace here it doesn't mean a friendly hug between me and dan it actually means an intimacy like sex like a, an intimate act and it says there's a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain from embracing 
And again, that's a challenge to our culture today. Yes, there's a time for sex in God's way, in God's plan, between a man and a woman in marriage. But there's a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to say no. And it's not a popular message, but that's what the translation of that word means. It's saying there's a time to say no. And in our culture today, lots of us will have opportunities for that, for that embrace. But there's a time to say no. And we each need to make sure we know when that time is. And there's a time to tear down. And God, often when he talks in the Old Testament about tearing things down, he's talking about idols. So he tells the Israelites to go and tear down the idols of foreign lands, things that would get in between them and God, things that they would worship that weren't God. And when this passage talks about tearing down, you know, we might just think, oh, it's about buildings and demolition or whatever. It's not, I, don't, I don't believe it is. It's about what is it in our hearts that we need to tear down? Because there's a time to tear down things in our lives that are getting in between our relationship with God. And if you're a Christian, you would have had some times like that. Some times where you've had to say no, you've had to stop some habits, stop doing some things and tear down those things in your life. There's times I've had to do that in my life. And there are times when my Christian brothers and sisters have had to do the same. There is a time to do that. And maybe that speaks to your heart today as we read through this passage. But what does the worker gain from his struggles? What about our work? Let's get back to this question. Does it have any meaning? My dad building Concord, my brother who cuts grass for Northampton County Council, sees the seasons go through for the last 20 years, that's what he's been doing. Or my sister who works at home and does some odd shifts down at the preschool locally. Is there a meaning? What do we gain? What do they gain from their toil? Grab a Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Because the teacher leaves this hanging. But Colossians chapter 3, page 1184, verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we're not working for our boss. We're working for the Lord. And however mundane, however hard, however tough you feel your work is, it's valuable because you, as a Christian, can do it for the Lord. And you receive an inheritance as you're working. Don't tell HMRC about this one. <laughs> you don't have to declare it. But as you work, you're receiving that gift from God. You're earning that inheritance. And however menial you feel your job is, however low paid, however tough your work is, as a Christian, we can redeem that work. We can do it for the Lord. We can make it worthwhile. And if a teenager 30 years later has never heard of the plane I built, it doesn't matter because I did it for the Lord. If I work in radio and my work literally disappears into thin air like a radio wave does, it doesn't matter because I've done it for the Lord. And whatever you're doing tomorrow, whether that's at home, whether that's in an office, whether that's studying at school, if we do it for the Lord, then we receive this inheritance, this promise 
of Colossians chapter 3. But then there's a problem. There's a problem that points. Because in uh, chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, and I saw something else under the sun. This is what the problem is, right? In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And actually, if you skip through to chapter 4 and verse 1, without treading on the preacher's toes next week, but it says again, I looked, I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they that have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors and they have no comforter. He looks to the place of judgment where there's supposed to be justice, but he sees wickedness there. He saw people that are supposed to be doing good and upholding the law being bad. Now, I don't know if he had a vision of 2023, but it's ringing pretty true, right? A prime minister who's meant to make the laws is found to be breaking the laws. A president who's meant to keep the peace is inciting violence. A head of state who's wanted for war crimes. He's meant to be in the system that he lives in looking after people, but instead he's stealing their very warmth and their homes and their food and their lives. A celebrity who was meant to be doing good, who turned out to be some of the do some of the worst things a man can do to ill and young and vulnerable people. A nurse who's supposed to be caring is actually killing. And he says, does it matter? He says, aren't we just like animals? In verse 19, he says, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. It's all a puff of smoke. Does it matter? Did Jimmy Savile get away with it? Because we didn't find out till after he died. Will he and His Majesty the Queen, who selflessly served until two days before she died, and Paul O'Grady's dogs all end up in the same place? That's what he's saying here. What difference does it make? Will the guy that sells weed around the corner from church and the kind school teacher that works at Hadley Park School who works long hours and Oscar Todman's fish just end up dust <laughs> all together in the same place? I mean, they're big questions, aren't they? Does it matter what we do, how we act? Where's the justice here? And that's the problem. It's a problem of justice. Because in verse 21, he says, who knows if the human spirit rises upward or the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. It's a problem of justice. A terrorist in New York who flies a plane into a tower to kill people and a fireman who's selflessly running up that same tower to save people, do they all end up in the same place? There's another song um, that, that I think speaks to some of these things. And it's a song by Chris Rea. Um, and it's called Tell Me There's a Heaven. Does anyone know this song? I'll, uh, 
I'll just play the first bit so you get familiar with it and then I'll, I'll read you the lyrics. But I think he's in this song, Tell Me There's a Heaven, this is the question he's asking. This is what he's wondering. Where is the justice? I don't know if you recognise it. The little girl, she said to me, what are these things that I can see? Each night when I come home from school, when mama calls me in for tea, oh, every night a baby dies, and every night a mama cries. What makes those men do what? To make that person black and blue Grandpa say So that's, that's the start of the track. He's, he's saying, look, there's a little girl who comes home, sees these awful things on the telly, and if you've got kids, you know what that's like. How do you explain those things? And the song actually goes on to say, Grandpa says they're happy now. They sit with God in paradise with angels' wings, and still somehow it makes me feel like ice. So he's trying to, Grandpa is trying to give an answer to the kid. He's saying, what, why do these terrible things happen? And, he, and the answer he gives still leaves Chris Rear cold as ice. Because I think he's saying, Where, where's the justice? Where's the justice? Where, where's the justice that makes those men do what they do? And I think, tell, tell Me There's a Heaven is a good title for that track. Um, and we've talked about a God who rewards when we work hard. But I believe there's a God who will judge as well. That this sin will be dealt with. And I think deep, deep down we know that too, because God's put this eternity in our hearts. And he does this, as we read, so that people will fear him. And I think actually what Chris Rear is crying out for in that song isn't a heaven. I wonder if he's crying out for hell. Somewhere where there can be justice, where these people who have done those things can be punished. And that's why it leaves him cold as ice. Because that's not a resolution to say, I'm sure they're all happy now. It's empty, isn't it? It's empty. And I wonder if a better title for that song would be, Tell Me There's a Hell. Because Ecclesiastes 3 verse 17 says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Yes, there's going to be a time to judge every deed. And as Christians, that actually can give us a peace. When we see these things on TV that are so wrong, we know that God will judge those things. There's a weird little story at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it's about this guy called Alexander the Metal Worker. And congratulations if you've read this bit or know this story, because I, I didn't know about this until this week, and it's mint. And it speaks to this, this, this what we're talking about here. Alexander the Metal Worker, Paul says, so this is Paul, who's out planting church, he's doing a good work. But he says, Alexander the Metal Worker did me a great deal of harm. 
The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. So this is a guy who, who did some harm to someone. He hurt them, but he hurt them a great deal of harm. Now, we don't know what this guy, Alexander, the metal worker, did. I don't know if it was physical harm. I don't know if it was emotional harm. It seems to imply that it in some way harmed his ministry, whatever it was. Maybe it harmed his reputation. I don't know. But Paul here doesn't go on about getting revenge himself and getting justice himself. He does warn them. He puts steps in place to practically try and make sure that people were safe around this dangerous person. But he actually says that there'll be a time for judgment. He says the Lord will repay him for what he has done. He leaves the justice to God, even though he's been really greatly hurt by this person in some way. And things like 9-11 and Jimmy Savile can seem far away and disconnected to us. Those situations can just seem far away. But Paul could name his abuser, this person who hurt him personally. And the way that he could deal with that was by trusting in God's justice. He didn't take revenge now. He knew there would be a time when God would judge and maybe you've been hurt in some way, maybe in your childhood, in your youth, in your work, in your school, in your home, in a public place. I don't know. But God knows that because Ecclesiastes 3.17 tells us God sees everything. He knows. And he sees that injustice. And the time of judgment, it may be now, these things may come to court and there may be some judgment on earth. But Ecclesiastes 3.17 says there will be a time for, for judgment, judgment of righteous people and judgment of evildoers. There is a time for judgment. And as Christians, we can rest in that. We can rest in God's justice. Because this passage is here that we might point to God and that we might fear him. There is a pattern that points to a creator and a sustaining king. And there is a problem that points to a God who will judge. We're about to come to a time when we recognize how this impacts on our lives. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that, about Christ's death on the cross. Um, if you're on Zoom, we're gonna have a time of communion, but feel free to stay. because I'm just gonna talk a little bit more as we introduce the communion time about how that impacts on our lives and God's judgment on our lives. But first we're gonna celebrate the fact that there is a king uh, that there is one who is con in control of these patterns and we're going to sing Jesus is king and I will extol him. So let's stand and sing this together.
Well, please be seated. We're going to come to uh, a time of communion and just think about how some of these truths um, impact on us. Um, I'm going to quote Culio at the start of a communion service, which I don't reckon has been done that often, but here we go. Um, the song that he, that he wrote, Gangster's Paradise, I, I just read the lyrics through and I just thought it was interesting, his, his kind of observations, really. He says, I won't rap it, I'm just going to read it. Um, he says, unless anyone wants to have a go. He says, I, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at myself and realise there's nothing left. Because um, I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks my mind is gone. I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. This is him talking about justice. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking, or you and your homies might, might be lined with chalk. I really hate to trip, but I got a loke. As they croak, as, as, as they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke, fool. It's interesting, isn't it? So he's, he's going around committing or involved in this gangster world. And he says, even as the pistol smoke clears, he sees himself as part of that, as part of that crime. And the Bible teaches us, doesn't it? And the reason why we can come to communion now is that actually we're all stained with sin. It's not just those people that I listed, presidents and prime ministers who have done wrong things. When we look into our, our own hearts, we all see ourselves in the pistol smoke full. So as we come to the Lord Jesus, we see, well, where, where's the where does our justice go? Where does the punishment that I deserve go? And what a place to end. Because when we come to the Lord Jesus and we trust in his death on the cross, the punishment that we deserved goes on to the Lord Jesus. We see ourselves in the pistol smoke, but the punishment that you and I deserve has gone on to the Lord Jesus. And he instructed us to come back often to remember this stuff. And if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus here, then take a little cup of wine and just take a moment to pray in your heart and to thank God for these truths. What does that mean to you? that God took the punishment for you when you see yourself in the pistol smoke. So drink the wine, be thankful to God, and try to understand more what that means that the Lord Jesus Christ died for you and gave his blood for you. This is for you if you're a Christian from any church. We bow the knee to you, the judge, and we thank you that we come to you not in a royal cloak, but in a cloak of righteousness because our sins, the things that I've done wrong and that we've done wrong as Christians are covered uh, by your death on the cross completely, that we need not see ourselves in that pistol smoke anymore. We're going to stand and sing the first three verses of Crowning with Many Crowns, um, which talk about looking at the hands and the side of Jesus, the visible signs that Jesus died for us. I think this is a hymn written especially for coronation weekends when you're preaching on Ecclesiastes chapter three, um, because it goes on to talk about um, crowning the Lord of years, the potentate of time. Does anyone know what potentate means? Leader? Yeah, it means, say again. 
Absolutely, yes. I mean, actually means quite authoritarian, absolute leader. And we've talked about a time for this and a time for that. And Jesus is the potentate of time. He's creator of the rolling spheres. We've thought about that today. Does anyone know what ineffably sublime means? We sing it a lot. Unspeakably. Okay, and what do you mean by exalted? And what, what does that mean? Yeah. It's an amazing expression. Ineffably sublime. Unspeakably exalted. Unspeakably. You can't describe with human words how high he is above all these things. And we've seen that, haven't we? Just the tie, all of those things that he's in control of, from creation through to judgment. And as we eat this bread, this is who we come to. He is our Lord, our Saviour, and our friend. He gives us that purpose to our life. So grab a piece of bread and eat together um, and give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to end with two, two sections of Scripture tonight, just little, two little verses. If there is no God, then this is for you. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, in your toilsome labour under the sun. If there is no God, all we've got is what we can see. So enjoy yourself. For us who are Christians, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and evermore. Amen. I know where I'd rather be. Thank you.